Newsbreak Podcast. Very warm welcome to Newsbreak Talk this afternoon. I'm Tadej Hari Prashad and it's another edition of Cutting Edge Current Affairs as we throw our focus now on Child Protection Week. We're mandated to bring you awareness about these very important topics on an um on a weekly basis and you'll understand that Child Protection Week is has been commemorated from the 2nd of June up until tomorrow which is the last day of the week and it's under the theme this year of let us protect all children to move South Africa forward. Now from a perspective of child protection I think we've covered it quite extensively in terms of the kind of uh, circumstance children often find themselves in we've dissected and combed through the statistics we understand the threats that exist and I think the vulnerabilities of young people um often um suffering abuse whether it is physical sexual or even emotional um at the hands of of seniors at the at the hands of elders and, and I think we've really given you the opportunity to talk about this uh, various cases along the way from um baby Jamie Sahil uh, Sahil Subajan to you know videos gone viral of 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 little girls being kicked by their parents um we've kind of you know dealt with it a lot so we understand the um context of child protection and why it's important why it's needed and i think where it finds itself but this year we want to turn our focus and shift it to something else now we've often reported on child protection from the perspective of a uh, adult inflicting um this kind of violence or trauma against child but what about the aspect of a child inflicting it upon a fellow child now that is also prevalent and i think when you look at the dynamic of child protection and child protection week one has to question um all you know issues or aspects that could um violate the protection of a child even if it is being um at the hands of another child so that's what we want to focus on today and i think it comes at a very significant time because the 19 year old forest high school learner accused of murder and attempted murder will spend the weekend in jail the learner from the terfontein school in the south of johannesburg stabbed a fellow learner to death Judgment on his bail application will only be handed down on Monday at the Johannesburg Magistrates Court. The grade 11 learner is alleged to have stabbed three fellow learners, killing one of them. He then fled the scene and police later arrested him in Dobsonville, Soweto. He is facing one count of murder and two of attempted murder, Sasha Naidu reports. After already spending 3 nights behind bars, the 19-year-old grade 11 learner will have to remain in custody until Monday when a ruling on his bail application is delivered. The learner's attorney has called on the court to grant him bail, saying it will not be in the interest of justice to keep him in custody as he needs to write his examinations. The learner is currently suspended from school and a disciplinary hearing is expected to take place soon. The accused can't be named at this stage as police are yet to conduct an ID parade the courtroom was packed to capacity with learners from Forest High School who are calling on the court to deny him bail Bakwela was my friend best friend and I, I don't like this thing of bail cause now I is not justice Bakwela must get justice cause now this this thing is stupid was this man used to get arrested baba for something so he killed a, he killed my friend 
not not just someone, just kill my friends. So they, not, they must not be bail. The family of 16-year-old Daniel Bakwela said they are concerned about the safety of the community and other learners if their son's alleged killer is released on bail. Bakwela's uncle, Jul Nzama, says despite their fears, the family isn't against him being released on bail. For me, we've got no problem to release the boy. The problem if they release the boy today in the community, what will happen to the community? What will happen tomorrow to the school? They remove him to a forest high school to take him to, to Deben. What will happen there? It should be the same thing. He's 19. He's not, he's, he's not a child. He can stress his sequences. Meanwhile, FISMA's four leader, Mterbod Lamini, also appeared in the same court. His pre-trial conference was set down for the 4th of July. Tlamini is facing a string of charges, including public violence, assault, theft and damage to property. He was arrested at a Wits University residence in October 2016 during the protests for free higher education. Justice and Correctional Services Minister Ronald Lamola was also at the Johannesburg Magistrates Court. His visit followed Wednesday's gang-related fight that took place in the court's corridors. Lamola says it was a mistake to have two rival gang leaders from Westbury appearing in the same court on the same day. Yeah, obviously, the, this issue has been foreseen. You will, you will remember that this matter started at Newlands. The reason it was brought here is because of those uh, confrontations. But unfortunately, there are some laps in terms of them being brought together at the same time. But that mistake is going to be corrected to ensure that it doesn't happen in future and to ensure that these processes and the courts run very smoothly. Lamola says security will be beefed up at all courts across the country. Sasha Naidu, SABC News, Johannesburg. One example there of learner-on-learner violence at schools, and that's where we're throwing our focus this Child Protection Week. We understand it is a major challenge, it is a major issue, and it could, you know, at a point, spiral out of control. But Rachel Vardy tracked the story right down to the top level as to where some sort of action is required, specifically within the KwaZulu-Natal context. She tracked down MEC Kwazi Mshengu, of course, MEC held a discussion with school governing bodies at the week. Uh, yesterday, actually, where uh, they met to discuss ways to better handle school governance, better handle school syllabus, uh, and uh, I think ultimately stamp out the issue of violence at schools and gangsterism and drugs. Um, that was basically the agenda of the conversation. Rachel sat down with MEC Kwasim Shengu to talk about this particular issue of learner on learner violence at schools and this is what he had to say. Well, we have laws that protect our kids in schools. As we know, at the top of it was the one that outlawed the corporal punishment because it was deemed to be abusive and human, basically unconstitutional. So there are laws and as a department we are expected to enforce the laws and put into mechanisms things that will be able to to make us enforce the law so that our our kids in schools are not subjected to any form of abuse. But it also takes the the teachers themselves, the SGPs, the communities, as well as the parents, because most of the things that happen in schools start from our communities. The issue of safety, as an example, in schools is one thing that is giving us headache, and uh, it comes from our communities. You know, there is a very subtly uh, gangsterism that is besieging our schools, where students, I mean, 
prisoners will then categorize themselves into gangster groups. They will even give themselves names. And those things don't start at schools. They start from our communities. So we should be working hand in glove with everybody so that we produce learners that are able to focus on the core business, but also to build the future of our country because these learners are the future of our country. So you brought up the issue of gangsterism within schools. So who protects a child from violence perpetrated by another child? How is that learner protected when another learner attacks them? Obviously, anything that uh, happens within the school premises, uh, we are ultimately accountable and responsible for it. So the, the, the management of the school should uh, be able to have uh, safety measures in the school. We must be able to search our, our, our children as to whether they don't bring in our premises uh, what to call weapons that they can use to harm other children, even school teachers, by the way, because the environment is becoming too polluted such that uh, even the teachers are not safe. So it's going to take all of us involved. We in the department, the teachers, we will also be engaging with the Department of uh, Safety to say what can we do together to ensure that there are enough mechanisms of safety in our, in our schools. But when police are called in to do school raids, working hand in hand with the Department of Education, parents are in uproar saying, no, you can't do that to our children. What's the situation then? That's why I'm saying it will even call for the parents to work with us in this, in, in this instance because uh, <clears throat> when we go to have raids in the school uh, and searching of, of, of learners with the police, some parents will complain. But uh, when learners then, then after that step each other, they will also complain again and start to blame the department. So parents must be able to play their part. As a parent, you must know that when your child leaves your place, does he live with textbooks only or there's another weapon that is hidden in, in, in the back? So it, it will start from home to the gate of the school as well as inside the classroom. So we, we, we must ensure that the whole process is cleaned up from home up until the premises of the school. And that will not happen if that is only abdicated to us in the departments. The parents must also play their role. The communities must also play their role in protecting our learners as well as the school infrastructure. Obviously the teachers ourselves as well as the STPs and the learners themselves we also want to plead with them that they must understand that we we, we are taking them to school to build future for them so that they become better persons in future they are not taken to school to start doing all sorts of wrong things and schools are not places where we will tolerate violence and gangsterism. Part of the process when you have learner on learner violence in schools is disciplinary committees where you have members of the school, members of the uh, department and parents sitting together. And then the 16-year-old is just tapped on the hand, stay at home for a few days, and then they're back at school, and then it continues. What's your views on that? Well, our view is that the discipline that we should administer to those who are found to be to have engaged in such unfortunate instances should be the one that will build them. Obviously, we don't want our learners to lose time in terms of curriculum coverage, but equally, we don't want to be soft to those who are perpetrating such violence in school. So we need to find a way of administering disciplinary actions that will actually build a learner to be a better person. 
MEC for Basic Education in KwaZulu-Natal, Kwazi Mshengu, talking there to Newsbreaks, Rachel Vadi. Um, I think we wanted to get some sort of, you know, organizational point of view on this as well, to look at the dynamic of of um, learner-on-learner, child-on-child violence. And we, um, the SABC's Desiree Choke managed to interview Patrick Solomons, the director of Molo Shongololo. Uh, it's a program that aims to advance the rights and protection of children. And this organization, it empowers children with skills that builds that human dignity and he you know helped us understand the the idea of how to um you know locate and place uh child on child violence when trying to talk about uh its risks its concerns and ultimately where it stems from this is a very important conversation to frame what we're about to do so let's take a listen what we do find is that um, despite the increased awareness around human rights and and also children's rights, we still have large numbers of children that are not properly informed about um, their rights, understanding what their rights are, understanding what the meaning of their rights. So we're still lacking in, 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 in with that regard. We still have an education system that don't effectively um, educate and inform and engage children with human rights issues, child rights issues. So you um, might find children growing up, going through the school system, have no idea how to interpret their rights. But we've made good progress, but we still have a very, very long way to go. You work very closely with children as victims and offenders. What have you discovered um, are child and child sexual offenders getting younger? Yeah, um, you know, children, um, like the previous speaker said, children often mimic what they see. And children's behavior reflects um, the, uh, like, you know, the environment in which they live and, and um, the people that they engage with. So children sort of um, act out a lot of stuff that they see, that they experience. Um, And we find that the number of children that um, commit uh, sexual uh, violence um, on other children um, is increasing. So, and also the ages are seem to be getting younger and younger. And what we have found is that one of the reasons for that is because children are exposed to sexual content more and more, to sexual attitudes more and more, sexual behavior more and more. And I think that's one of the main contributing factors because children by nature act out. Children by nature watch and see what adults and others are doing around them. And then of course also there's the issue of peer pressure. Um, you have to conform, you have to be with a group. There's a bullying that happens, the grooming that happens. So there's all of these factors that influence how children would behave. And like the previous speaker also said, because of the lack of supervision, children also then would act out a whole range of things that they ordinarily would not do when they're in the presence of their parents and caregivers and they're being supervised. Children um, have the capacity to get up to mischief. I'm like we all have, um, as children, we all get up to one kind or other kind of mischief. But I think what we see now is that more and more children seemingly make a decision to behave badly, to do wrong, to do something that they know they should not be doing, sometimes even know that it is a crime. And I think that is what we see, there's an increase in that kind of behavior of children. Mr. Solomon, should we be going back to historical communities or should we be adapting to the new way of being? I cannot um, deny the fact that you know, we are in a developmental state and we're moving on and society is not static. 
Um, the speaker sort of alluded to the fact that support systems have broken down for families, for communities. So we find that a lot of um, parents, they have to fend for themselves and they struggle all by themselves. They don't often have the support of their neighbors or their family, extended family members and stuff like that. So support systems have broken down. We've also seen that the, a lot of especially poor families and, and poor children struggle to access services and support services being provided by civil society or even by the government. So there's a lot of challenges that people are experiencing. We also have things like substance abuse, for example, dysfunction within the home, violence in itself, domestic violence in the home, for example, on the streets, in the school. A lot of um, children, especially our poor children, experience these things every, every day. So as we have a sort of a, a tried to promote a rights culture in South Africa, cho uh, like you know, a lot of children also don't experience their uh, 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 and enjoy their rights on a daily basis. They experience multiple rights violations. So we uh, um, we have situations where almost about sixty percent of, of South African children are very very poor, find themselves uh, challenged every day, um, whether it is in the home or on, on the way to school or at school or in the community. So they experience a multiple um, sort of challenges where their rights are being infringed, where they find themselves in situations of vulnerability and even at high risk. And coupled with the, uh, uh, with the context of violence, our children um, seem to um, respond easier to lash out, to be violent, to do things that um, would be inappropriate, for example. And um, so we don't have uh, children in those kinds of situations don't um, get the opportunity to learn about how to solve problems, how to do things differently, how to do things in a non-violent kind of way. And I think that is something that we need to really, really look at. Parents are always the last to find out when the child misbehaved, did something bad, uh, behaved wrongly, committed a crime. And I think we also need to look at parenting, for example. Um, and I think a lot of parents expect the best of the kids, and have, uh, like you know, we, you know, and we hope that parents will be able to make sure that they can get the best out of their children. Unfortunately, that is not the situation for many, many children. Many fathers have abandoned their children. Mothers are struggling all by themselves to rear their children. So we really have a, a, a children especially poor children from the poorest sectors of society, especially children where there's, uh, from dysfunctional families and communities, where there's a lack of services, they have it tough. And it's in those communities where we've seen a tremendous increase on child-on-child -child violence, for example. And that was Patrick Solomons, the director of Molo Songololo, talking to Desiree Okay, So there you go. We've put the, put the issue into perspective quite greatly for you here with all our research, all our facts on the table, all of our analysis, all of our thoughts on the topic. When we come back, we talk to our expert in studio about this issue of child-on-child -child violence, specifically at schools. In focus this Sunday, in the Western Cape, trees are facing a new threat. Illegal bark strippers target hundreds of indigenous trees in the Cape Metro. Fever trees are now being painted to protect them. And the ATKV Real Dance competition will be held for the 14th time this year. Focus visited last year's winners in the under-20 category while they were going through their paces for this year's competition. Focus, incisive and insightful. Sunday evening at 6, only on SABC2. 
10 female fighters journey from around the world, living together, training together, and fighting each other to avoid elimination, fighting to win the ultimate prize. This is The Fighter. Watch the next explosive episode of the hit reality TV series this Saturday as Team Soldier Boy clashes with Team Lazar. The Fighter, every Saturday at 8 p.m. on SABC3, brought to you by SABC Sport. So news break talk, and we are talking about learner uh, lack of safety, lack of protection of learners, specifically, um, you know, at the hands of other learners. We've seen a lot of incidents, and there are several others here that I could cite, but I think you get the picture right now. So let's move straight into the conversation. We're very happy to have Mr. Vigani in studio today. He's from the Parents Association in Kozula Natal. He's the chairperson of the South Durban branch. Mr. Ghani, thanks for your time. Always good to have you in studio. No, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, Listening to all of that, yeah, uh, it's worrisome. It's worrisome. And I think that's the sad thing about the fact that we always have to have you in studio to talk about the challenges at hand. But and as it's you hear... Never, it's never Never a good time. Never a good Never time. A good time. You know, uh, as you said, you know, it's it's um, it's it's the child protection week. Of course, we're focusing on children. Mm. Um, not only for this week, I think we focus on children. Uh, I think when parents have children, from the time they're born till the time they're twenty-one, twenty-two, sometimes even more than that, parents will always be responsible for their children. Uh, so, so given the fact that even sometimes children become adults themselves, uh, for whatever reason, going to university, whatever, parents will still be um, very uh, kind of caring yeah. about their children. Uh, so a lot depends on how you treat your children. What do you do with your children? How do yeah. you bring them up? Uh, a lot of people have said, and, and this is proven in fact, that a child learns more in the first seven years of your life. In fact, a person, forget the child. A person learns more in the first seven years of their life than the information and the knowledge that they glean from that seven years to whatever period of time they pass on. So you could live till you're 70, okay? What you would learn in the 63 years, okay, is not as much as what you would learn in your first seven years. Absolutely, because it just shapes your perceptions. It's Absolutely. Your but I think, I think that's the answer basically to the problem. But I think... So I, who spent the first seven years? Who, sp- who you spend it with? Parents, no doubt. Exactly. And I think as we build up to that, uh, let's talk about then just, you know, to put it into... Uh, context in terms of what's on the table in terms of child rights now mm-hmm. um you know we understand i don't think we need to spend too much time on this children have the right to safety security specifically mm-hmm. at schools mm-hmm. we know this we've dealt with it let's talk about this interesting angle we're taking you know when a child is impacting on the rights of another child mm-hmm. what rights does that second child who's impacted on right. the rights of the well, first child have. absolutely yeah okay when in a school environment you've got three dimensions at play okay one you've got where is a child on child violence uh, extortion bullying uh, all that kind of thing so you've got a child on child then you get a learner let's put it a learner on learner and then you also get learner and educator and that's becoming also very problematic and then you get educator on learner now, where there's an educator and learner, it's a bit easy to resolve because where an educator is, for whatever reason, um, uh, did something to a child, assaulted a child, or whatever the case may be, it becomes a criminal act. Right. Okay. And the educator is faced with a couple of, um, what, what do you, there's alternatives there on how to deal with the problem. One, it can be dealt with in the South African police services, so there's a criminal aspect mm-hmm. to it. The second thing, it can be done within the Department of Education because it becomes an internal disciplinary process. 
All right. And the third, it can be handled also from a SACE point of view, South African Council for Educators, which is the governing board for all educators in the country. So they also have a code of conduct. So there's a couple of things that can happen to an educator. All right. Um, When you get a child on educator, it's a little bit difficult because although it's criminal, because, you know, you can't. Assault as a learner, you can't go and assault a uh, an educator. It mm-hmm. becomes criminal, uh, but also you also have the aspect of where the Department of Education can get involved, and where the learner, depending on the nature of the um, assault or the nature of the transgression, um, the child can be removed. What is difficult to yeah. manage is the child on child or learner on it's learner. Here, that yeah. is difficult to manage, because firstly you have two, uh, not adults. You have two learners. Yeah. Um, you you have to now investigate what is the nature of the conflict. Mm-hmm. And the nature of the conflict can be fast and wide. You know, it ranges from things like, uh, you know, that boy is looking at my girlfriend. So it ranges from things like relationships. It ranges for things like where there's extortion. You know, I want money. If you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to assault you. It could be ranging from things just on personality. You know, I don't like the way you yeah. look at me. Yeah. I don't like the fact that you bumped me. Um, I don't... It just stupid Bullying. things. Bullying. Um, but, but, but it's difficult to manage because you have a closed area. You know, you've got a school. And when children are in a school, you're either in the classroom, which is a closed environment, or in your school grounds, closed environment. You've got five, six, seven, eight hundred children. You've got children that are coming with different personalities. Not all of them are going to react in a civil way. And you find because they lack these kind of conflict resolution mechanisms, Mm. because you find that they lacked that, they lack that, they don't know how to deal with conflict. And therefore, you've got things like the stabbing that you speak about. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a, a child that that uh, it well basically um, there was a suicide with this child mm. in the Phoenix area, mm. where there's allegations that she's been speaker spoken to very abruptly by the school authorities for whatever reason. It impacted on her negatively. So we're having a problem where there is a struggle with how do we resolve the conflict. Yeah. Now, when you have a child-on-child situation. How do you deal with it? Because if you charge the child, now, 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 if, if anybody knows and they've been to a court system or through the court system, depending on the nature of the, of the assault or nature of injury, whatever the case may be, the courts do not process or prosecute children. They don't. Okay. Uh, what they try to do is try to do some rehabilitative work with the children. Right. So, for example, uh, they call it ADR, alternate dispute resolution. What they try to do then is to send those children for, like, you need to go to Sanka, you need to go to uh, this kind of, uh, some kind of rehabilitative yeah. process yeah. where they now say to the children, we're going to teach you basically addressing anger management. Mm-hmm. But where is all that stemming from? Yeah. And I think that's one of the issues that we have to talk about because a lot of experts are telling us that it does stem from the you know, upbringing of the child, mm-hmm. what the child is learning, what the child is subjected to. But I think before we go to the phone lines, yes, you can call us now 089 WhatsApp is also going quite busily. So I'm going to go to WhatsApp in a short while. But yeah, call us if you are a parent, if you are a learner, if you are from the education system and you'd love to share with us your thoughts, your questions or ways forward in terms of dealing with learner on learner violence we are talking about that today but before we go to um to the phone lines very quickly mr gani i think the point is then so if you have um a situation where there is learner on learner violence 
in the moment in its entirety somebody's mm-hmm. hitting each other mm-hmm. um the question then becomes what do you do in the moment does the principal get involved do the teachers get involved satu says teachers are not bodyguards so they should not be in endangering themselves mm-hmm. there's a knife mm-hmm. in play why should a teacher mm-hmm. go into that mix so when it happens on the ground when a group of learners or two learners are you know in a space of violence what must happen in that time i'm glad you asked asked that question because look who is responsible let's ask the question uh, when you look at when you look at the the, the educate employment act when you look at the schools act it is up to the authorities to ensure that it's an environment that is conducive to teaching and learning yeah that is the one thing hmm. so when you have children who are basically disruptive and who are causing chaos that environment is not conducive to teaching and learning anymore yeah. you know we've seen it happen at at some of these schools we've seen uh, where there were protests and where the children went on the rampage and all of that it doesn't become conducive anymore yeah. now and you know and I, and 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 i feel for what for what the unions are saying because when you have two children fighting more often than not there are few there's not as much male teachers in school as there are females let's let's put that into perspective so more often than not there are more female teachers in the school how do how do you get involved when there are two males fighting who are more often than not bigger size than you bigger yeah. than you they are fighting there's violence it's, it's because how do you go in the center they're trying to pull anybody apart you're putting your life at risk yeah. you 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 are you are generally doing that and if somebody has a knife or a gun or whatever the case may be the chances of you getting hurt are high right now and, and then, why why would you do that absolutely and then if you were to bring in private security that becomes an infringement of the school code doesn't well, it we've seen that at another school yeah. where where the private security company attempted to remove drugs and all of that and what happened the children reacted their parents reacted mm-hmm. with them and the department says only saps are allowed to be in that <laughs> so, space so how do you get it solved in the moment so look it's difficult to be it's difficult to be a principal it's difficult to be an educator because um, you know your job is to teach and to educate and empower but the problem is is that you got all these extraneous factors that are coming in yeah. and 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 which schools and principals and educators are not equipped to handle yeah. they don't have the yeah. capacity to handle i think from what we take away at this point of the conversation is that there are instances where learners could be disruptive that could be uh you know in violation of the constitutional right of a child to safety and to f- a fair space for education makes me wonder about the discipline, disciplinary committees that exist in school if you do identify a learner who is disruptive who is dangerous who is violent what is the process to have this learner removed from school that's what we're going to talk about next before we do that to the phone lines we go you are welcome to give us a call 0893108789 the views and opinions expressed on newsbreak talk do not represent those of SABC news or lotus fm mr pele very good afternoon to you mr louis pele Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to guests. Good afternoon to the listeners. I'm a former member of the Parents Association of KZN. Now, uh, Mr. Gany spoke about various good issues that we talk about. My colleague also spoke about the children in school. But, you know, to top it up, the Child Protection Week is mothers that throw away babies, and that's a very big concern. But then we talk about issues in the school. We have four components that need to come together. That is the parents, learners, educators, and the school principal, to, together with associated members around the school. I think, firstly, the school should change the code of conduct. The SGBs need to look at the code of conduct. 
we have various issues in school regarding relationship problem, and that's huge. Relationship problem leads to suicide, as Mr. Kenny said. Then there's drug issues. I think the respect should start at home first. But if you look at educators and parents, they, they need to concentrate on the school syllabus, educating the child. But they're spending more time re- regarding this issue around misbehavior of children, whether it's misconduct or naughtiness or whatever. But I want to stress that have we got educators at, at doing school duties in the ground? We haven't got that. I think that's been left out now. I think that schools need to bring the past again. Educators should be on ground duties as well. Thank you. Thanks for the points raised there, Mr. Dewey Pillay. We'll take that further as our conversation continues. Yes, well, we are talking about the issues of school violence, specifically learner-on-learner violence, and how do you mitigate that? If you've had an experience in this regard, share it with us. What was the issue? How did you raise it? Did you resolve it? What was the, um, I think, the uh, way forward with regard to this? We'd love to learn from it, understand it, and then also dissect it in an attempt to ensure that everybody's a bit more aware, a bit more enlightened as to how to deal with this issue issue of learner-on-learner violence. Vincent Chetty on the line. Hello there. Hello. Hi, uh, sir. Thank you very, I'm sure. fine. Thank you very much. A good topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what I, I looked at, if you look at uh, the parents are the first teachers, you know, quite often there's a perception that thing the teachers, once the children are in school, the teachers will have to take over. As the gentleman mentioned, the first seven years, what you instill in the children makes a, quite a big difference. And I know there's an organization religious organization where they encourage the families to at least have a study with the children once a week. You, if you have four children, each one have different needs. Try and meet the needs. So there is a lacking where husbands and wives are so busy working or even watching TV and so on. They're not spending quality time with the children. So teaching should start at home. And as I say, although they can try very hard, it does take place in school at times, but most likely or most cases, Families will really benefit if you spend quality time. Parents spend quality time with children. Thank you very much. Mr. Chetty, very wise words. Thank you very much for the call. Let's go to Selvin. Selvin, when last did I speak to you on the telephone? <laughs> Hi, Therese. Hi, Rachel, and your uh, lovely uh, contributing uh, guests down there. Mm. Therese, uh, your last listener said part of what I was going to say. I'm going to start off by saying children learn what they love. You can be a yeah. parent and you can be very strict. But if you do something wrong, a child is going to do it. So I'm basically saying that if we were in school, we should be afraid of the teachers. In fact, we should wait for the teacher to come to run up to the gate to carry his bag to school and so forth. So this attitude of bullying, I think, can be resolved. You have countries where you don't even hear of this, right? So I'm saying, number one, the education system has to institute some kind of affirmative law whereby naughty children and bullying children must be removed from the normal circumstances put into a punitive place where they're still being taught, but they have to be note, noted and they must be informed that they're in the wrong place. So until they come right, they bring them back in. But Lotus, once again, thanks for creating the awareness. And Rachel and Torres, keep up the good work. And may I continue to make the public aware of all of the discrepancies. Thank you, guys. 
Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Selvin, for the call. So, yes, we are talking about it. And I will repeat again, if you could, um, you know, call us and, and let us know about some of the challenges you faced in this regard. I mean, I think learning from each other's examples are quite important. So we'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on the matter. Have you had to deal with a situation where there was a, um, you know, disruptive learner inflicting some sort of trauma on your child? Or if your, you know, child was the one dis- uh, being the disruptive learner, what was the way forward? Because because ultimately, I think child protection means that all children need to be safeguarded. We've got Mr. Makwata on the line. Hello, Mr. Makwata. Hi, how are you? Well, thanks. I'm, I'm well. Uh, I've been interested in topic. I'm a school principal, so I'm mm-hmm. confronted with this on a daily basis. Yeah. And how do you handle and, it? Uh, look, you, you need to always try to diffuse the situation by attending to the smallest of the fights. Our code of conduct or a code of conduct of a school must be so fortified and be used and implemented that a small fight between two children, they have to go through disciplinary proceedings so that everyone understands the implication of being in a fight. So in a case where people can fight and within two minutes they are returned back to class, it's just going to escalate and gangs then immediately form because... Uh, there's two people involved or more than one people, I mean more than two people involved. Obviously they take sides and then they form gangs. So to avoid that, every situation that arises must be attended to, uh, it must be reported, parents must be called, um, that you, you diffuse it there and there, that it doesn't escalate into something that by end of the week or end of the term, there's going to be a big fight that everyone is anticipating. Yeah, that's a great point you raised, Mr. Makwata. But since you're on the line and I want to ask you here, it's the it's the debate about what do you do. On one hand, if you look at the victim, you have to ensure that that child is protected. On the other hand, yes. you have the perpetrator who is also a child and you they also Correct. come with a great deal of um, uh, laws and rules that, that, that govern them. So how do you decide, or you caught in the middle here, so how do you decide who to single out, what is the level of discipline you can meet against, meet out against the perpetrator, what is the level of protection you can look, provide yeah. against the victim, how do you do it? Look, uh, both of them need to be protected, you are absolutely right about that, and um, it's, it's, it's not allowing it to get to a level where learners themselves think that getting into a fight is a solution, so Schools have to develop a system that allows the learners to understand that there's other ways of solving issues. So don't allow it to get to a point where the two parties are, look, it happens that they fight. And what we advise, and the gentleman indicated female teachers being more than male teachers in the schools, which is very true. So I always advise my teachers that don't get in, uh, rather call uh, someone that will be able to assist you immediately because you don't want to put your life at risk. But um, generally, the school has to set a principle or a rule that says that being involved in a fight is something that will be dealt with very harshly when it happens, that it it, it should not escalate. But we we need to protect our teachers, particularly our female teachers are vulnerable. They are confronted with boys who are stronger and and older, and it's it's almost difficult for a teacher to get in between. And somebody else mentioned the issue of break duty. Look, they are just there to give a report to say this is what happened, but it won't necessarily prevent a fight yeah. uh, by just their presence being on the play field. Yeah. Mr. McQuarter, we thank you so much for calling through. We appreciate your call and the sentiments raised today. Uh, let's go to our next caller. And before we go back to Mr. Gani to talk about all of this, lots to talk about and also WhatsApp in a short while. Roxanne, hello. 
Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Thanks for calling. Uh, okay, dear. What I actually think is that, uh, you know, they should um, bring back the, the detention uh, system and but not let the learners um, write down, you know, like 100 words, uh, you know, or 200 words as such. But, but maybe uh, enforce some... Um, uh, what you call meditation and also yoga, you know. So, so it's punishment, but not really punishment. You know, it's, it's reflective also, punishment. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know because because I mean I do yoga and I do meditation as well, and uh, I think that will be awesome to actually uh, you know for the mind, you know, for the whole concept of the of the learner as well. You know, also to calm them down and, you know, teach them um, maybe right from wrong. You know, maybe get volunteers out there. I'm sure, you know, there would be volunteers that are prepared to help out in the government uh, sector as well. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful point, Roxanne. Thanks so much. You know, it's not on hand here, but so many studies I've read about the benefits of mindfulness, yoga, etc. at schools, you know, when you start the day off, etc. So that's a very solid point. I think it's been scientifically researched. Let's go to Sheila. Hello, Sheila. Hello. Hi there, Sheila. Go ahead. Yes, I just want to say, you know, this, uh, the problems at school is so multifaceted. It's drugs, it's gangsterism, people having weapons, they're drinking, overhead students, etc. So it's not easy for a school uh, to take full responsibility of a child, um, uh, you know, to such an extent that they have to be the police, the lawyer, etc., uh, etc., et and deal with drug abusers and all that. So I feel um, it, uh, one of the things they can do, like in the mornings, if uh, the Department of Education, hello, yeah, Hello? I'm to you, Sheila. Yes, uh, yeah, the Department of Education needs to make uh, a, a ruling that every school should have an inspection uh, of pupils in the morning and allow them because then we don't want parents and other people coming and saying, why my child's bag was uh, inspected for weapons like knives and things that they carry to school. And then you discover who is the gangster, who is the drug uh, uh, addict, and and so forth when you start doing that. And then you can separate them. Um, There is a need for schools to work closely with the community uh, police and ensure that police also are allowed into the school to come and inspect uh, once a month at least. And and, uh, uh, that kind of inspection also brings some um, you know, kind of um, process uh, that will help the school. But I do think in the end, where we have gangsters and drug dealers and all that in school, there must be a separate school. When you when you separate these pupils, they must be then sent to a reform school where they can be reformed and then later integrated into normal school activities. Yeah. So um, that then you'll find, and I think the government in this instance should play a big role. We need social workers, counselors, we need um, uh, police and all that kind of involvement in yeah. the school. Yeah. So the educator can't work there because they are there to teach the child and they cannot handle this kind of a situation in school where you saw what happened in that one school where they even, um, uh, they uh, like sex and all that is taking place. They're demanding yeah, yeah. those things. So yeah. all that needs social workers, counseling, reform schools, and government has to work very closely. Sure.
Thanks, Sheila, for the comments. We really appreciate it. There you go. Lots of comments for us to dissect here, Mr. Ghani. Interesting points there. Um, I mean, you know, I think yeah. what's coming through, and I think I like the fact that uh, Mr. Matakata called through and he spoke to us about, he says he's the principal, and Absolutely. he spoke to us about the, you know... You're, get, you're getting it firsthand. Right, and he spoke about, you know, whose rights outweigh each other's, or, you know, no, none do, but how do you juggle it? So, um, so, yeah. so we break that down for you very quickly, right? Um, people spoke about... Um, the school's code of conduct. Every school in terms of the law must have a code of conduct. Your code of conduct will determine the behavior of your learner population at your school. Not only determine the behavior, but also determine what happens should that behavior or should the violation violation happen or should some of these laws be transgressed. It should be I would think partly punitive, but more rehabilitative. So that's what should happen. So every school has that. Let's let this is where the problem is, Teresh, is I get lots of complaints from schools about children misbehaving. And the question I say to them is, have you now sorted out your tribunal? Have you uh, are you now doing the disciplinary process? So more often than not, what happens is and, and I think one of your earlier callers alluded to it. In fact, I think the principal alluded to it, where when these teachers, when these children come and they have these small little fights and they come into the office, they are reprimanded. They are sent back into the classrooms and a day, a week, a month later. It's the same children again. So this behavior continues to happen. Yeah, so you need to make a big thing You out need of to it. make a thing out of it. So what happens is, and this is where it is, you know, we talked about educators. Let's try and bring in the governing bodies of these schools because ideally a disciplinary committee is in, it's in law that you have to have it within your governing body. Yeah. It's in law. It's not that it's a maybe. It's in law. All right. So your disciplinary committee is an act of parliament. It's in law where you're supposed to operate that within your governing body. So let's look at that. Your disciplinary committee is then responsible for instituting the disciplinary processes at your school. So when a child has been bunking, when a child has been fighting, you have to allow the disciplinary process to happen. To continue, you have to get people to sit on it. You have to make a thing out of it because that's what happens. Yeah, I think an interesting point about that was that are these organisations finding it's uh, finding themselves? Is the principal working in tandem with the governing body, working in tandem with the disciplinary committee, working in tandem with the department? You have to. You have to but because are, there's a Is it happening? That's the, the criticism. Well, th- that's where that's where one of the one of the issues are. So when we have these things, I'm going to give you an example of what I talk about just now. So your disciplinary committee now has to institute the disciplinary process against a child. They have to come to some fighting. They have to ensure that they then carry out those those resolutions in terms of that. Yeah. More often than not, when principals complain to me about the discipline in school and they say, when last did you have a disciplinary committee and, yeah. or, or disciplinary tribunal? And they look at me like I'm talking something that's foreign. But I said, but you have a code of conduct. It's there. Yeah. Why aren't you using it? Yeah. Uh, you don't have to get your teachers involved. Get your governing body people involved to run the process process through yeah that, that's part of their duty anyway yeah. you know if i i, I want to encapsulate that and with this particular point making an example of the first bit of disruption you you see how best to do that because from what we understand if you make the example and you set the standard it's going to go a long way in terms of keeping everybody a bit more calmer at school. so let me talk about the example that i alluded to earlier there was a school, and I was part of the school. I won't mention the school name, though. And we had a problem with discipline. It was a secondary school, had a problem with discipline, had a problem with drugs, had a problem with all of that. 
What we decided as a governing body to do is that every Saturday we have disciplinary hearings from 8 o'clock in the morning till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So all the transgressions for that week, whether you were bunking school, whether you were whatever it is, were you caught with cigarettes, you were caught with dacha, whatever the case may be, you came through on a Saturday with your parents. And we had to do it every Saturday for the first two months. And then after that, we didn't need to do it because what happened? The news went out. People knew that this governing body was very serious about implementation of good conduct. Okay. So people started behaving. The learners started behaving. And so we had to do it once every two weeks, once every three weeks. Eventually, it came to once a month. And the reason for that was because... The news went out. This governing body is not taking nonsense. They are serious about this. They're going to implement this, implement that. We had a policy where, and, and I'm saying this on radio, we had a policy where if you were caught with drugs in school, okay, for us, you endangered endangering every other child in school. Yeah. So when you're caught with drugs and through a disciplinary process, you were found now to be in drugs session, whatever the case may be, the school governing body filled in documentation for your expulsion. Yeah. Now, obviously, the school can't expel you. The Only the HOD can, only the MEC can. Yeah. This is what it is. Yeah. But the school filled in those forms. And took it requesting, to And we, we sent it up. So parents were sitting in front of us were then crying. They were then crying, oh my, please give our, pa- our children a chance. So again, we're coming back. Whose responsibility yeah. is parents? I'm going to end off on the issue of parents because I know we've spent a lot of time and a lot of our conversations talking about the roles of parents in various, in everything basically. But to WhatsApp, we go very quickly. I think the uh, conversation has been quite interesting. So let's go to Mr. Rajan Rajkumar from Cape Town. Conflict resolution must become part of the curriculum in primary and high schools. Learners must learn that differences can be settled by peaceful means and not by violence. Values in education Education must also become compulsory at schools. Parents, religious institutions, NGOs and community organizations must get involved to curb the spate of violence in our schools. That was from Mr. Rajan Rajkumar in Cape Town. Um, another text here. This is by Anonymous. Um, we need to applaud our judicial system. Um, who gives bail only for them to go out and to do it again. Who is punished? What is... Uh, what and what punishment does someone um, get to do wrong? No humanity, no respect, and as an individual losing faith, nobody helps. No faith. Okay. Um, so yeah, those are the sentiments coming through from anonymous. Another one. Uh, this is from Logi, I think, or oh, is it Logus? Uh, they are. There was a disruptive child in a primary school in Isipingo who told the school principal and the police that their salaries were paid by his parent and that he could do as he pleased. Sadly, his parents supported him. They were both arrogant. What should the staff at a school do in this instance? I know for a fact that the staff didn't do anything wrong. That's from Logus. We were just talking about that off air. We're bringing that into the conversation just now. Um, it all starts from with the parents. They must speak to the children at home. A teacher cannot do the parents' job. Powerful one line there from Anonymous. Uh, so I think that that basically is setting the tone there for um, where we're going to conclude. Viren Rajdeo from Harinagar. Great topic. What I find worrying is that there's an increase in the incident of female learner on learner violence. Viral videos show the frightening brutality of female learner violence and they are supposed to be the mothers of the future. Um, an observation there by Viren Rajdeo. Um, this one here by... Um, Rajesh Sibran teachers need to go uh, needs to go 
teaching needs to go on at schools. Teachers are not security to be on the ground uh, during tea and lunch breaks. They also need to have something to eat. Many years ago, schools had tight security paid by the government. What happened now? So, yeah, again, talking about the level of, um, you know, um, security at schools. I think technology is to blame for the violence. Bring back corporal punishment. It worked back in the days. I know there's a big no-no on that. We'll talk about that just now. Uh, this is um, another message here on WhatsApp from Mrs. Mohammed in KZN. Children need guidance at home and guidance classes at school like in the past. And that is by Mrs. Mohammed from Kozulin Natal. Um, Here's another WhatsApp message now from Philip Klatwayo, the president of RTI, the Radical Teachers uh, Institute. Um, unable to open this message, though, Philip, maybe if you could text us what your intervention was. And that's basically it. Parents, Mr. Ghani, that's that's the buzzword. <laughs> no, I'm seeing that, you know, it, it's a bit frightening because there is, this is where it is, right? If somebody says, bring back corporate punishment. Now, now this is the pitch I'm going to paint for you. Two children, let's say in a primary school, are fighting with each other, hitting each other. And then they go to the principal's office. And then the principal is then hitting the child and saying, you will not hit another child. But what are you doing? You're using the very act to <laughs> make a point. You're using the very act to make a point to stop that child from hitting yeah. another child. So corporal uh, punishment doesn't work. But, but this, is ex- uh, this is an argument that we used by many. Um, and, and people come up to me and say, oh, you know what, we were in school. You know, we got two, one, two, this from the teacher, one, two, that from the teacher. And look at how we turned out. And I always say to them, but I was in school. I never got hit by any educator. And I think I turned out a bit okay. So it's not the fact that, in fact, there are examples where you will show that children who were abused in school and hit in school actually turned out to be abusers in society themselves. Yeah. They became gangsters themselves because they left school they were so uh, you know disillusioned with school because of what happened with them they left school and they started to perpetuate the very same acts on other people I think Mr. Ghani let's end off by talking about the role that parents uh, need to talk uh, need to play because it's it's, it's, it's many it's one is how do you uh, create this kind of uh, lack of violence at home the second thing is when your child is caught being in contravention of the school code then how then do you as a parent effectively handle it and not make it seem as if my child is allowed to do it? Because Absolutely. I don't think they are. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I've sat through enough hearings to know that a lot of parents whose children have been accused of uh, certain misdemeanors, of violence, of whatever the case may be, come to schools come to schools on the basis to protect their children. Yeah. They don't come there to look at what is happening and what kind of intervention that they as parents can can take to rehabilitate their child, to talk to their children. They come there merely to protect their children. I think that's where a lot of stuff happens where parents play a critical role and, and I think that's where we're failing as parents is that perhaps we're not playing a critical role. Somebody mentioned earlier about the fact that parents are too busy and, and I think it in, in this digital age world and with work and all of that parents are busy but you have to make time for your children if you if you teach them good values the chances are they start living it in school even out of school well mr vegani we thank you for your time mr vegani representing the south durban uh, branch of the parents association in kozula natal we look forward to taking the conversation with you further at a point Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tarish. So there we go. We leave the conversation there. It came away courtesy of the team, executive producer Selma Patel and Rachel Vadi. Tomorrow we'll be talking about the Comrades Marathon. Everything you need to know about the Comrades, we'll try and get you interviews of the winners as well. So keep it locked on to Newsbreak. Newsbreak, Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.